Canada's election campaign hit the home stretch this past week as leaders made their final pitches to voters as to why they should be given the opportunity to govern. But will we see change in Ottawa, or will this election leave us back where we were before? I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Tasha Carradin, a columnist for the National Post and principal for Navigator Limited, joins me to discuss how the leaders fared in this race, what the big issues for voters have been, and what's next for the main party leaders come Tuesday. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Tasha, it has been nearly four, five weeks, I've lost count, uh, (laughs) of an, an election campaign that while it may have looked good on paper for the Liberals a few months ago, I feel like... We're just going to wind up back exactly where we were come Monday night, barring any real surprises. Looking back on the last few weeks, what has been your view of how things have gone? Well, um, my view is summed up in the ballot question. Why are we here? I really think that that never went away. And I think it sums up the entire election that we're back like you said, sort of full circle, the sense that this election was unnecessary. It's not going to change the distribution of seats in the House of Commons. It might change, you know, certain ridings or electoral districts will change hands. But at the end of the day, you're going to have a result in terms of seat count for the parties. That's very similar to what they have now. What it has done, though, is it's brought out elements in Canadian politics that are a lot of them very negative. We haven't seen, you know, aggression and violence on the campaign trail like we've seen in this election since, if I cast my mind back, 1988. Mm -hmm. We had a free trade election and there we had an issue of huge national importance. The difference here is that this is dividing Canadians on an issue of, you know, global importance. We have far less control over the pandemic than we did over free trade. Deals can be unsigned or not signed. We can't control a virus. So the sense of frustration and helplessness, I feel, and hopelessness and anger that people have against the pandemic has been channeled into this election. And I think that's what Trudeau didn't expect. And that's why we're still asking the question, why are we here? You mentioned the ballot question, and that is an an interesting piece because usually the parties try and present a ballot question to voters. And and I know Trudeau tried to do that at the beginning of the campaign where he was talking about, well, what does Canada look like over the next 17 months and 17 years? Mm -hmm. I feel like no party really was able to get their own ballot question forward because the ballot question was kind of there. We're in a pandemic. Why are we going to the polls? Were any of the leaders able to bring forward anything else that really stuck? Well, I think, uh, I'm not sure if the leaders brought it forward. It was brought forward by circumstance during the election. I think they tried. I think, you know, affordability is one that Jugmeet Singh and the conservatives, uh, Aaron O'Toole pushed definitely The liberals also, in their own way, saying, well, we have to make things more affordable. Here's how we're going to do it. But I think really it is an NDP and and the conservatives, the criticisms of of why things are as unaffordable as they are, and they pin it on the liberals. For some people, that will be the ballot question is how do we move towards a more affordable society for, you know, whatever segment of society you, you think is not doing well right now. So people will see themselves in that. But I think one of the big questions that also came forward that was not driven by the leaders I mean, it might have been driven by uh, Yves-Francois Blanchet, but it was really hammered home by the English language debate, which, you know, he didn't control the question that was asked of him. But his response to that question and the response of the Quebec political class to the question about Quebec and, and racism and Quebecers feeling they're being called out and singled out on issues like Bill 21, 
that issue, that's been a spear through this election because it really changed the dynamic in Quebec. The polls show, as, as they do now, that the bloc gained a lot from that. So Blanchet would have wanted that to be the ballot question, but he wasn't successful in pushing it on his own. It had to come from somewhere else. So there are these other issues that are floating around that are making a difference. But again, ultimately, I think it's going to come down to the question of why are we in this election? What is this going to change? And for a lot of people, I think they're just angry about that. And, you know, it's brought out the PPC, too. It's brought out people who are just mad, mad at the machine Mm -hmm. and they're taking it out at the at the ballot box. Who does that help and who does that hurt? Like, is it the liberals who stand to be hurt by that? Or if, you know, as you mentioned, this bringing out this kind of anti-government, anti-vax, anti-everything PPC, (laughs) does that hurt Aaron O'Toole come election day? Who stands to gain by having an, an election over anger at going to the polls? Well, initially, you would say, yeah, the conservatives stand to benefit, the NDP stand to benefit, because people who are mad at the liberals, people will take this out on the government that's there that call this vote. So clearly, you know, that's the first instinct you would have. However, when you break it down, you see that because there are other options on the ballot, such as the People's Party, such as the Bloc, and, you know, the Greens, though they're not really polling very well, people have choices. So if you're channeling your frustration on this issue, people who are really hardcore, like you said, anti-vax, or anti-government, uh, or think that the conservatives have flipped on positions like gun control and stuff, they don't like that, they can go PPC. So paradoxically, rage against the machine can hurt the conservatives if it's channeled to somewhere that could siphon some of their votes. Mm-hmm. The same could happen to the NDP, more in theory, I guess, with the Greens. We have seen some NDP votes migrate to PPC too, though the bulk of theirs seem to be you know, former conservative you know, or former PPC voters, but more former conservatives than left-leaning voters. And you will also see the NDP suffer on this because if people think the conservatives will potentially form a government, that will bleed votes of theirs back to the liberals of people who say, oh, well, we don't want a right wing government. And they think the conservatives are right wing, which, you know, PPC people will say, no, they're not. So it's it's really a mixed bag. I think that's why we it's really hard to predict where seats will be won and lost in this election. But like I said, every pollster that's crunching the numbers, including Navigator, where I work, we, we've crunched the numbers and done a prediction summary, and it is extremely close to the one that 338 Canada has. It's 148 liberal seats, 119 conservative, 40 NDP, and then the BQ about 26, and Greens, I think, three, PPC, two, though I don't know how we get two, because I think if Bernier wins his seat, that will probably be the only one they get. But mm-hmm. that's what the, the pure data shows. And when you look at that, it's very similar to what we've got now. Is that why you're seeing, and this is the first time I can recall seeing this, I'm used to seeing the last couple elections, the liberals saying a vote for the NDP is a vote for the conservatives. But, you know, this is the first time I've really seen a vote for the PPC is is a vote for the liberals. Is that why you're seeing that kind of narrative take hold? Yeah, it is. Because it, it, in some lines, it could be. And, um, you know, one of the examples I, I throw out a lot, because I'm very familiar with it, I know the area well, is the riding of Peterborough, North Kawartha, called Peterborough, but that's Marion Monsaf's riding. It includes the the rural space of North Kawartha, uh, north of Peterborough. And there you're seeing a lot of PPC activity. Marion Monsaf got in a lot of trouble earlier this campaign. So a lot of people were saying, well, she's not maybe going to hang on to her seat. But if the right of center vote or the populist vote or the anti-liberal vote splits, she could. Mm-hmm. So there are ridings like that. And I think there's 10 ridings in the country that have been identified as potential split PPC Tory could help the liberal either stay there or win. This is going to be a phenomenon. I think this is what I'm watching for the most as I'm watching for what's happening with the PPC and with the block. Those are my two spaces of interest because they are both phenomenons that, you know, th- this election fueled them in a particular way. 
because of the pandemic for the PPC and because of the, the Bill 21 controversy for the bloc. This campaign has been the big introduction to Canadians for Aaron O'Toole, who had a lot of weight on his shoulders coming into this race, trying to do better than Andrew Scheer did in terms of winning seats, because Andrew Scheer did well in getting votes in 2019. Also differentiate himself from Stephen Harper, because the liberals like to harp on how bad Stephen Harper was as a prime minister. (laughs) But (laughs) in the end, you know, you get a sense that despite people on social media in the ether saying that Aaron O'Toole is a Trumpist, he's, you know, big on guns, he's anti-abortion, he's anti-woman. If you look at, you know, some of the main planks of the conservative platform, you're not seeing a differentiation in a lot of ways between the liberals. Like, there's still going to be a lot of spending from an Aaron O'Toole government. Is that part and parcel to the fact that we're in a pandemic and the economy is where it is, that Aaron O'Toole has had to present himself as more moderate than perhaps conservative voters would want? And how does that position him come Monday? Well, I think there is a bit of real politic here. And, you know, Stephen Harper lived this in 2008, 2009, when he ran up over $50 billion, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of deficit. And that was his reaction to the financial crisis that that period. And the same thing's happening now. You could be a conservative all you want, but if you've got an international pandemic, like if you had a war, you know, you have to pivot and say, okay, what do we need? And it's not about you know, purist, conservative, we must absolutely have no deficit. And and not to say that is always a conservative policy. It's more, how do we govern based mm-hmm. on conservative principles, but recognizing the situation. So I think clearly, if he went into this election and said, we're going to balance the books next year, people would go like, well, how? It's kind of impossible unless you just basically shut Ottawa down and everything else. So he has to be realistic. And his point is, well, we'll balance the books in 10 years. But the point that you're making is that people are spending money on things new programs are being created that are not necessarily related to the pandemic, but are using this opportunity. Housing is a big piece of that. You know, housing affordability is a huge crisis for a lot of people, fueled in part by the pandemic and what's happened. But it was around before too. And the answer is now being saying, oh, we're going to build, we're going to build 500,000 homes. We're going to build a million homes, 1.4. It's like a bloody auction. I mean, it's ridiculous. And that's not necessarily the best policy. Why are they throwing money at that? Why are they not also looking at healthcare and saying, okay, you know, it's not about two tier. It's about choice. It's about what people need to be talking about. They're scared to go there. Third rail. I mean, O'Toole backed away and refused, refused, refused to say that he is in favor of more private healthcare. He's just repeating oh, the public system. I would maintain it, you know, but the reality is we can't just keep throwing more money. He wants to increase by 6% fiscal transfers to the provinces. Well, that's nice, but that's not enough to stem the gap. More private health care paid for by insurance or individuals could do that. Mm-hmm. They're missing that opportunity. So it is frustrating. So for conservative voters looking at that, they may be like, hey, well, this doesn't really do it for me because you're, you're missing the boat. So, you know, if they have the option of the PPC, maybe they'll go there or they may stay home. That's another problem if they don't vote. And that's why I think the ground game is going to be very, very important we saw people in the advance polls, people are voting by mail, but still day of, you've got to get your people out. Yeah, Conservatives do have a lot of ground game, so that could help them and the liberals too. I mean, overall, is there concern that apathy over this election benefits the liberals because of the fact that people may just not go out and vote? They're like, ah, forget it. I'm not, I can't be bothered. I don't like the prime minister. And even for liberal voters, I don't like Aaron O'Toole, but I just can't be bothered because this is not what we need right now. We don't need an election right now. Oh, I think people are mad. When people are mad, they vote. 
I actually disagree. I think there's less apathy for this election. I think that, you know, we've seen pandemic elections having a lower voter turnout. But I think this election, I'm not too sure that's going to happen because there's some people who've been motivated to vote who also were never motivated, who didn't vote before. Like PPC is channeling people who were not partisan, were not big voters. They're just mad. So they have a motivation. You know, anyone who wants change has a motivation. And studies that I've seen, studies we've done at Navigator 2 show that most people want change. They want something to change. What is that? Well, they're going to maybe cast their ballot for change. It doesn't mean that the liberals that will completely hurt them, because like I said, if there's vote splits, it in some cases might favor them. But it means that that's, there's a, a sense of this election does matter. People are mad about it. And so I'll be interested. Are we watching voter turnout too? That is kind of a third thing I was going to say, because again, I think that's going to be key if you've got, you know, smaller parties like the Greens do not have the infrastructure to get people out. The NDP also is not the greatest at doing so in terms of compared to the big two parties. Mm -hmm. And the PPC, like I said, they don't really have a lot of infrastructure. They've just got a lot of mad people who will probably vote and don't care about COVID. So they'll go. They'll go without their mask. And you see this on social media already. I voted without my mask and people are proud of it because you can, you know, you can vote without a mask. I didn't know this, but you're allowed because everyone has the right to vote. So they're actually making it a thing. One of the things about this campaign, and you talked about it earlier, there was the violence earlier in this campaign, the anger and, you know, how quickly around the debates that the main two parties started going negative. One of the things that we saw this week was the liberals trying to make hay of Alberta Premier Jason Kenney's pandemic performance, his coziness with Aaron O'Toole, how Aaron O'Toole was praising Jason Kenney for his pandemic performance. And then Jason Kenney came out this week and said, oh, you know, we screwed up here in Alberta. We didn't anticipate the fourth wave being as bad as it was. Does that hurt Aaron O'Toole in places like, it's not going to hurt him in Alberta necessarily, Mm -hmm. but does that hurt Aaron O'Toole in places like Ontario and Quebec? Does his coziness with Jason Kenney really matter in the grand scheme of things? And I, I guess an extension of that, given the fact that Justin Trudeau has been prime minister for the entirety of the pandemic, is it an attack that could backfire because, well, why didn't he do anything to rein in Jason Kenney? Oh, I don't think it'll hurt Trudeau. I mean, the same, you know, look, uh, Kenny screwed up. I, I will not defend anything he's done. And his, you know, this summer, oh, we're done. It's like, no, we're not. It was the most stupid thing ever. I will say it very bluntly. People are not getting surgery. People are coming to Ontario Hospital now because of this ridiculous early reopening. Mm-hmm. And he has to be held to account for it. Unfortunately, yes, I do think it will reverberate on O'Toole to some extent, not as much as I think the liberals would like it to. I think they're playing the, that card because they don't have a lot of other cards to play at this point. You know, they brought out John Chrétien, they brought out Hazel McCallion, and then she said, well, we shouldn't have an election, which is kind of funny. <laughs> so, you know, they, they've been trying to, they, they saw le gros canon, as you say in French. So, of course, they're going to try this tactic. It's a gift, right? It's like if they can shake a few voters loose, then super. If they can split people off, too, by pointing this out and, like, you know, saying just it's another example of O'Toole, like, refuse, like he refused to, to dump all over Kenny. Well, here's – so, obviously, this is how it would have been if he was in power. Think about that one. It, it just makes O'Toole look disingenuous. So, it's a character thing more, I think, than the fact that Kenny did what he did in Alberta. Looking ahead to the day after the election, depending on what happens, what's at stake for Aaron O'Toole and Justin Trudeau. Is there a bar that Aaron O'Toole needs to hit in terms of performance and seats to potentially hang on to his leadership? Or is the conservative party just at a point where no matter what happens, he'll get another kick at it because they can't go through another leadership vote right now. And the same (laughs) for Justin Trudeau. If he wins a minority, but with fewer seats, is his future in doubt as liberal leader? 
let's start with Trudeau. If he gets a minority and it's close to what he's gotten, if he gets fewer seats than he has now, I think he will be gone. I think he, and, and I've had journalists disagree with me on this and say, oh no, you know, they'll keep him around. I think his brand equity will be so damaged. And I think also personally, I don't think he likes it. He's had a really rough ride on this trail, on this campaign trail. His family's been attacked. People scream at him. You know, this is not 2015. Mm-hmm. And he's not, he doesn't look super happy during minority parliaments in general. I feel the last minority parliament, he's kind of been like, ugh, frustrated <laughs> and yeah. angry. And people don't love him, right? He likes to be loved. He's one of the politicians that feeds off that adulation. And some, you know, he's really good with crowds too, but not when they hate him. So I, th- I have a feeling that he may take a walk in the snow like his father. And Trudeau Sr. came back. It's true. He came back after, you know, Joe Clark's debacle when he had initially said, I'm leaving. And then he came back into the picture. With this situation, there are enough pretenders to the crown. You know, think of uh, Mark Carney, think of Christopher Freeland. There's people out there who'd like the job. Yeah. So I think liberals are in a good position to hold the leadership because I think his brand's been tarnished in the public image. So, so that could happen. As for O'Toole, I don't think he will leave. It depends, obviously, you know, how badly he does. But I have a feeling that the Tories are kind of, they are tired. I think they have to deal with the PPC fallout too. I think that's going to be an issue that they're going to have to wrestle with. So having a leadership, I mean, it's one way to do it, I guess, but it's costly. It's exhausting, especially if it's another minority and you're only going to be there for two years. Really? You want to, sh- again, like, <laughs> yeah, he may stick around. So again, not, not a ton of change. I, and I don't think Trudeau would leave right away. I think it would, it would be like after a year, he'd, he'd probably say like, okay, I'm done. Well, it's been a, Interesting campaign, to say the least. And I, know. I guess, you know, we'll, we'll see how things shake out on Monday night. Hopefully we have a result on Monday night and we'll see where the country goes from there. Tasha, thanks for your time as always. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Tasha Carradine. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.